This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey, everybody. So in some countries, people are already watching Dune. You guys are so lucky. So this is the show where we're going to talk about all the, the news relating to the movie, uh, relating to the, to the teasers, and uh, start looking at those uh, box numbers. It's a really exciting time. Uh, this is uh, Marcus Gabriel, uh, editor at Do Newsnet. So excited to be here. And I'm here today with Garen. Hey, it's Garen at DuneCompanion.com on Twitter and DuneCompanion.com online. It's Johnny Sobchak. Um I'm on Twitter. You know, you know where I'm from. <laughs> uh, Simon Dowdy here um, on Twitter. Also, no cool Dune name. And sadly, I still have not seen the movie, but I have friends overseas and I know stuff. And we have a special returning guest, uh, Mark from, uh, from Dune Info. So, uh, Mark, you're in the UK. Are, are you really jealous that, uh, you know, all your uh, neighboring countries have seen a movie and you haven't? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not particularly happy. Uh, originally, the UK was meant to be getting it uh, on the 17th of September as well, and then it got pushed back to the 21st, so just before uh, the US. So yeah, all of our neighbouring countries have seen it, but not the UK. I'm Something else I'm blaming Brexit for. I understand that you will see it slightly earlier than, than other people in the UK, is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, the BFI in London have had a, a road to June uh, series over the past couple of months, uh, very similar to the uh, one we've been doing on Discord, where they've been showing every one of Denis Villeneuve's previous films, uh, and that culminates on um, the fifth of Tuesday, the fifth of October, uh, so about three weeks early, uh, two and a half weeks early, um, going down to London to see that. So very excited to see that. Nice. Well, maybe we should plan to have you again on the show uh, around then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll try and keep it spoiler free if that's the case <laughs> yeah. nice yeah so um, as mentioned there's, there's a lot to talk about today is going to be all focused on the, on the movie of course uh, so let's go ahead and talk some Dune movie news Dune movie news so the first uh, story for today is Toronto International Film Festival so um, the, the festival started on, uh, on the 11th and we had uh, the, the very first uh, screenings of Dune on, on IMAX uh, last, last weekend on the Saturday and, and Sunday. So the, there was an, an introduction uh, by, by uh, Denis. We had some uh, uh, excellent interviews with, um, with the director and with uh, Rebecca Ferguson. And uh, also uh, today when we're recording this, which is the... The 18th, uh, Denis is going to be uh, honored as part of the, the tribute uh, awards of the Toronto International Film Festival, so the, the Ebert Director Award. So uh, that, that's, that's something that um, we'll, we'll be uh, touching on later as well. Uh, so let me start with you, um, Mark. Uh, have, have you followed the news around Toronto International Film Festival? What were the, the big takeaways for you? I think everything was just how impressive it looks on IMAX. Uh, you know, IMAX is the format that it needs to be seen on. So there's been a number of uh, comparison um, videos that IMAX has been putting out about the how you need to see it in the full frame. 
although bizarrely they've put them on Instagram so you, you see a square frame and cropped and so it's not the ideal format to promote IMAX but uh, that, that seems to be the key thing. Uh, and I also, I don't know if you saw, but uh, there was a couple of guys outside IMAX in Toronto uh, with wanting June tickets and uh, IMAX Twitter was trying to locate them so they could give them some IMAX swag. Uh, I'm sure they'd have preferred June tickets, but maybe they'll settle for the swag. Nice. So, uh, Johnny, what, what was uh, stood out for, for, me, for you for the festival? Yeah, um, you know, Mark you know, mentioned a lot of it already. I think another main takeaway was just that it was nice to see another large batch um, of reactions and reviews uh, on top of what we already got at Venice. Because, of course, it's a different audience. It's a different, I mean, continent, um, you know, different sensibilities and things like that. Uh, and it, again, seemed to be pretty much about the same, I would say, as far as like, how it was divided up uh, between, you know, people loving it, people liking it, people being kind of like mixed on it. Um, and I think that honestly, it's been, it's been really interesting to watch and hear the different reactions. Um, Cause I would say, again, the vast majority have been positive, whether, you know, it's mildly positive or like very, very positive. Um, but I, I feel like there's been every single aspect of the film has someone that thinks it's a 10, like, amazing or someone that thinks it's like eh like under like whelming or like not really working for them and so i think it's interesting this, this seems like it is you know villeneuve has said that he wanted this to be his most accessible most mainstream i guess you could say kind of film compared to his other ones which have been more like adult or more like art art house if you will um and i think it, this is just the reaction so far i've kind of shown to me at least that it's still like Villeneuve, like it's still 100% like his, you know, mode um, for the most part. And, you know, it's not going to be for everyone necessarily, just like 2049 isn't necessarily for everyone um, or, you know, some of his other films. But uh, I'm really, really happy so far. And TIFF has, you know, again, that's just another piece of it. We have New York Film Festival coming up as well, which will be another big, you know, um, spot for them to, to get, uh, you know, a lot of, press from uh, more reactions more reviews uh, but even overseas now as you mentioned at the top of the show we have fans actual mainstream general audience members going to see it now in the thousands um which is just kind of crazy to think about given that no one had seen this movie a couple weeks ago um i'm yeah it's it, it's looking really good i'm feeling really positive about it it's exciting touching on what i mentioned earlier about the the tiff uh, tribute uh, awards um so obviously that that's a uh, really special for uh, for Denis because it's uh, you know that that's that's where where he's he's from. So it's it's, it's great to see that the festival is honoring him in that way. From the perspective of, of overall awards, like how how should we see this, uh, Johnny? Like how how does, does this award compare to some of the the other uh, director awards? Yeah, I mean it's as you mentioned, you're right in saying it is special because of his you know, attachment to the festival. I mean, he's been going there for years. Um, it, I feel so like, I feel old, which is going to be crazy for anyone, you know, listening or anyone else that's on this podcast. But like, I remember in 2016 when Arrival was at TIFF um, and just, that was when I was really starting to get to know him as a, as a filmmaker. And so now looking back at it um, and, I, and of course, previously, I think he had also had Enemy there. He had Prisoners, um, I think Sicario might have also gone to TIFF. So it's like 
there's a number of uh you know of films that he's had like kind of circled through there and so the festival is very familiar with him uh i i watched some of his uh you know the interview he did like the q a uh and also the introduction that the uh director of the festival the creative director uh made for him which was very you know gracious i i just kind of speaks to you know how they kind of view him how they feel about him they were very much excited excited and looking forward to giving him the award and of course you know it's it's you know they handpick these people based on you know who's going to be there like which films are we showing um but it's again just another kind of accolade you can kind of throw on there and just another like extra little thing um that gives him attention and gives him some sort of uh you know, credential, especially you know, if you're thinking long-term and you're thinking award season, as a lot of people have been talking about and thinking about already as the festivals, you know, bring that, that thinking into the process, it's another extra little thing that you can consider, um, you know, going in and kind of adding those things up. And uh, Garen, think, thinking about the, the reactions from the, from the festival, like, the IMAX premiere overall, and or those interviews that, that we had with uh, with the director and Rebecca Ferguson, uh, was there anything that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, the thought that came to me was, you know, Denise in his home country. He talked about in that Q and A interview that you know, there's people out there in the audience that know me really well. They really know about me, and and I so I was a little uh, a little guarded maybe on on the reactions or or maybe some of the responses being. Uh, maybe a little too strong or too positive, <clears throat> but overall, I, 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 it felt a lot like Venice. Um, it felt like a similar distribution of responses. I loved the Q and A though. Um, I thought that was just gold. Um, being able to see uh, Denise speak so so offhandedly and and candidly, um, I, I just loved it. I, I think I I watched that a couple of times, if not three times, because. So the stuff he talks about, we've all heard before, you know, he read Dune when he was 13 or 14, he was influenced as a, as a teenager, but to hear him go in depth about the influence of, of Lawrence of Arabia, I loved that sequence where he talks about that. Um, even, even his interactions with, uh, Jess, or with uh, Rebecca Ferguson, uh, who plays Jessica, I loved that interaction to show that, you know, she talks about how they were a unified group of people. They were, they were a unit, she said. And, and that comes from a director who really knows what he's doing and creates that unity through his leadership. So there's just a lot in that Q&A that, I mean, I could probably go on for 20 minutes about it because to me, that was real deep insight into why Denis wants, he wanted to do this. He wanted to do it his way. And he stuck to his guns, and and so far, you guys, it's paying off. Um, him doing it the way he wanted to do it in two films, um, being able to make it accessible to to everyone, which I think is the only way you could do this film. That was the problem with with David Lynch's eighty four; it wasn't accessible to everyone. It just wasn't. And this one, apparently, so far, is maybe not to everyone, but to to the larger uh, audiences. So yeah, I, there's a lot in that Q and A that I that I love. Those are some highlights. Yeah, and, and I I love hearing that that comment from uh, from Rebecca Ferguson. 
I mean, you know, when, when people work, work together with, uh, with a great, great director, a lot of times you see this like great professional relationship and, you know, how they admire the director's talent and everything. Uh, but like, you, you know, when, when you heard Rebecca speaking about like uh, speaking so affectionately about him, it's like he really like developed like these, these strong relationships with, with them. And as you're saying, it was like a family, uh, family unit that, that was uh, working on this film. Yeah, um, I'll just chime in real quick because that Gary made some great points. Um, I, I had honestly forgotten some of the things that he had said and kind of like what exactly the Q&A was like. But, you know, you mentioned um, hearing him talk, uh, you know, about, you know, of course, the film, but also his upbringing, like his older, like, you know, connection to like the novel. Um, it just reminds me because, again, I've been watching him for years. Like I've been watching him interviews, Q&As, those kinds of things at film festivals. Um, and of course he's, you know, English isn't his first language, which I think we all know by this point, but, um, I, it's just, it's been so cool to see him kind of evolve because he was a small, you know, French Canadian, like art house filmmaker, um, you know, just 10 years ago. I mean, on Sandy was, you know, a little over 10 years ago. So like to watch him evolve and become like, just so like he can work a room so well, I feel like, and his confidence and his, you know, his ability to like really communicate uh, and articulate like his thoughts and his feelings about, you know, things that might be kind of niche or kind of harder to understand, especially related to Dune, which is already kind of like a dense, you know, complicated uh, book um, has been really, really cool to see. And, you know, hearing Rebecca talk about it as well. She did, I think the two of them did something with Variety where an interview where they posted some some clips that I saw. And yeah, just the way that she talks about him so passionately. And, you know, I covered the entire you know film industry and I hear a bunch of stories. <laughs> I read a bunch of stories and I can tell you, and I think everyone knows this, but like it doesn't go without saying that, you know, there are a lot of not so nice <laughs> filmmakers and directors and, and people who are difficult to work with. And, you know, you hear stories about how you have to be like cruel um, to get like great art or people, you need to make people suffer and, and go through like these ex absurd lengths. And I think Denis is like a perfect example of someone who doesn't feel the need to do that and is ac actually the complete opposite of that. Um, and is very, you know, kind and like open and, and communicates really well and, and, and wants to work and make it like a family environment. Um, and I think also talking about awards, cause we, you know, you asked me about that a minute ago. I think that all that, that we just discussed and that Garen hit on is going to be huge as far as like, again, longer into the award season. Um, he has like a really great story, I think for this movie and like a strong narrative in that sense. Um, that it is like this childhood dream and it's like such a passion project and everyone involved has such nice and good things to say about him. He worked with Guillermo del Toro, um, you know, to, to work on the edit and he had him look at the movie. Chloe Jaw has been, you know, her name has been huge over the last 12 months and she is, has spoken so highly of the film and she was at the Venice premiere. Uh, Kenneth Brana, this was mentioned on Twitter. He showed up at one of the Dune screenings in TIFF and said it was just like mind blowing, like jaw dropping experience. So all these people who are Academy Award winning directors, producers, uh, Kenneth Brown is going to be in the conversation this Oscar season for Belfast as a director, as a, as a producer and a screenwriter. I think that, again, goes a long way. And that's going to be interesting to uh, see how that develops, because I think that is uh, you know worth mentioning and worth keeping an eye on. Simon, uh, two final thoughts on uh, TIFF? 
um, the interviews with Denise and I was going to say Lady Jessica as well, Rebecca Ferguson, just so humble, both of them. And you can really see the experience that they had. And I know people call Denise the hawk, but I'm going to call him a bear because he's a giant teddy bear. He just seems like a genuine guy that's living the best life that he can. And, you know, getting the award for TIFF is probably a big honor for him because can you guys think of five Canadian filmmakers that are legendary? And I think Denis is probably one of the, maybe the most successful Canadian filmmaker right now. And if I'm wrong, please, someone comment on YouTube or tweet at me and be like, no. But honestly, it's just so nice seeing so much love for this project all around. And once again, seeing on IMAX, I think really changed people's point of view. I think people were excited about it after Venice. But hearing the IMAX hype, which is what we want, because we want people to go see in the theater. I do agree with Mark. Those Instagram little featurettes are killing me. I love Instagram. It's my favorite social media. But do not show them as little squares because it messes everything up. Overall, more excited. I hate my friends overseas that seen it, that called me the other day. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Just give me the movie. I'm up to the point where I want to open my Christmas present. Also, real, real quick, I have to mention, as far as Canadian filmmakers go, Jim Cameron might have a, a word on, on the, uh, <laughs> as far as, uh, you know, notoriety and uh, success, I guess. Is Jim Cameron really Canadian? I... Yeah. Well, and well, David I'm... Cronenberg, I guess, but he's not done much oh. recently. That's true. Okay. Hey, Jim Cameron hasn't done anything really recently either, I guess. <laughs> Look, I'm not a big Jim Cameron fan because, yeah, but Cronenberg is one of my favorite filmmakers and I feel really bad. <laughs> I'm just going to be quiet for a little bit now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit weird because uh, some of Cronenberg's early shorts are at the same uh, university that Enemy was uh, filmed in. That's an enemy. architecture. So there's a there's a bit of crossover on the architecture between Cronenberg and Villeneuve, I think. I'm going to look up this Jim Cameron thing. <laughs> we stay humble on this show, right, guys? <laughs> we do well, what Denis would do. <laughs> hey, I wanted to mention one more thing about that Q&A that, that stuck out to me is I loved how uh, uh, the person asking the questions asked Rebecca, he said, she, he said to her, you know, what, what kind of influence did you or input did you get to have on the development and evolution of the character of Jessica? And uh, I loved her answer because her answer was Jessica, Lady Jessica was already fleshed out, right? The book, as Denis keeps saying, was the Bible for the creation of this film. And I loved how she, she gave credit right back to Lady Jessica already existed, already fleshed out to the levels that were necessary. And that she felt like she was given enough space to, to elevate that character as she already existed, not to sort of redo it or you know, tear it down and rebuild it. Uh, but but that homage to the, the book, which I, I love every time they bring this up because that makes me feel good about, uh, you know, the honoring this book that I love so much. 
But, um, you know, I, I think sometimes in the creation of these films, they can, because creative people, it's an exciting experience. You, you have lots of ideas and you want to explore different avenues, but the fact that they stuck to the source material within, within some boundaries, right? I'm sure they had flexibility and even the script goes beyond in some regards, um, uh, the, the role of women uh, in, in this story, which, which is awesome. We want that. We, we want the role of women to be expanded in this, in this film, which it is. Um, but that, that sticking to the source material, I just think is critical for the success of this film. Next story for today, which is the, all these uh, featurettes, uh, teasers that, that have come out over the past uh, week or so. We, so we had the films for, for IMAX, we had some uh, behind the scenes, we had the, the accolades uh, teasers. Uh, so let me start with you, Mark, because I know that you've also been uh, on, on top of all of these. Uh, in terms of new footage or new insights, what stood out most to you from, from all this fresh content? Ooh, um, I that's a good question. There's been so many uh, <laughs> teasers and stuff. Uh, Warner Brothers Singapore in particular seems to be killing it at the moment with uh, every day there's one or two more uh, TV spots or teasers or promos for it. Um, there was some footage from, I think it was a German TV show where we had the Baron scene with Baron and Piter, um, which sort of ex which explains a little bit more of the footage that we've seen with the Benny Jesuit going to Gady Prime, which isn't a scene in the book, uh, and that fleshes out the reason for that. So, uh, uh, and that's a proper scene. It's not just a small uh, clip. It's a I don't know a minute or two. So that was probably my favourite out of the the ones recently. You you actually posted a full 10 minutes behind the scenes clip. Was that from the German TV show? Uh, it was from another, it was another international uh, television show and they had a clip and they had, rather than the snippets, they had 12 minutes continuous. Well, actually it was more than that because it had the Gurney and Paul fight, which we've seen already. It had the Baron and Piter scene. It had uh, Jessica giving a mate's scene and it had the... Um, Paul and uh, Chani scene with the Chris knife, um, but without any audio, they were just playing in the background. Um, so I did post those to YouTube. Uh, the, the various scenes from the film got blocked instantly, and the behind the scenes footage uh, got blocked after a couple of hours, even though this is official footage that Warner Brothers have given to various marketing places uh, to run in the on their adverts, uh, on their interviews and promos. But, Maybe they didn't like it all in one place, all in one go. I don't know. Yeah, yeah so th th there was a lot more of the Baron than, than we had seen before, like that, that scene. So I guess mm -hmm. yeah, maybe, maybe they wanted to keep that uh, uh, for now. The Baron one's fine. The Baron ones, uh, they didn't have a problem with me posting the Baron one. It was okay. uh, the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and one, one of the things that I really liked, especially in the, in the IMAX uh, teaser was... Um, the, the ornithopters, you know, like we, we got to see them like in, in flight, uh, see more of them. And I have to see like, the more I see these ornithopters, these things are just awesome. You know, I, I can I can see these becoming like iconic in the way that the X-Wing is iconic, like in the past 20 years. I mean, th these things are just so cool and that that dynamic with, with the wings. Uh, so yeah, re really excited. Keep seeing more of these in uh, on the IMAX uh, screen. Uh, yeah, I want a model on my desktop, please. So. <laughs> Whoever at Legendary is listening, I want this licensed and something I can put on my desk. 
If it's got clapping wing actions, even the, even better. But <laughs> I want to say something about the ornithopters. I that was the one part of the original book and the series that I knew if it was if it was envisioned correctly, it could be you know one of the coolest you know flying vehicles ever in science fiction, and yet you could also do it really corny because you know the, the term ornithopter just means a flying machine right so some people uh, envision that with like the wings of a bird actually flapping and to go with sort of this dragonfly uh, design at first I, I i didn't know what to think of that i kind of thought oh that's a little that's a little strange i don't know if that's going to work very well every time i see these things it's like i'm just blown away i can't i can't stop looking at them and they play such a critical part in the story. They, they're, they're like a character uh, in, in the story. And so I just think they've done a brilliant job. And the CGI is just, is just so smooth and realistic. And so I just, I like want to start an Ornithopter fan club. I'm so excited about it. Every time I see one, I think of you, Garen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, he's probably freaking I'm out over the scene. <laughs> Well, Mark and Garen and Johnny and uh, Marcus, if I see any that show up at work as low models, I will buy you each one and send them to you. <laughs> but you. get that license. Yeah, hopefully McFarlane <laughs> makes a big one where you can actually put your figures in. <laughs> and uh, Simon, so, mean, any other highlights from the from the new footage? Oh my God, there's so much footage. It's up to the point where I'm like, did I already see this? Did, did I miss something? Um, I love all of it. And I feel like we're getting kind of the same footage, but in different shots and different angles. Um, once again, it's not overkill, but it's just like, I'm jealous of the rest of the world. I'm really jealous. I, I wish, it's funny because I was looking on my Facebook and seven years ago, I was in France, was in family. And I wish I was in France right now. Because I would watch the living crap out of that movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I really like also the more that we're getting behind the scenes because that gives a lot of insights into, you know, how the, how the actors and the, and the crew felt. Uh, like you, you see that, that shot of, um, of, of Paul and he's, he's walking in, in, the, in the governor's residence and looking at the sandworm uh, mural. And like you see the, you know, the, the camera crew recording him. And it's basically like he's he's there, like he's in this enormous set looking at this uh, enormous mural. Like, I mean, how immersive is that for uh, for the actors uh, who, who are filming those, those scenes? Uh, let's go to G you, Johnny. Uh, uh, what was your uh, highlights out of these uh, all these new uh, uh, teasers and trailers? Yeah, well, it's funny what you just mentioned talking about like that, the base big base relief, um, you know, sandworm. Like it's huge. And um I'm just thinking about like the time and effort that went into probably like designing that and, and building it. Whereas like some other movies, you know, they, they don't even, your the gun you might be holding is going to be green screened in later. Like they don't even know what the hell you're going to be using. Um, so yeah, it's definitely nice to see there, there's just so much. Uh, I, I'm like overwhelmed. Cause I feel like every time I see something new, like, I've seen a lot, obviously, at this point. I mean, I went to the IMAX event, which is probably, I mean, it's more than 99.9% .9 of what people have seen, obviously. Uh, and just 
I feel like I can't be more amazed or more excited or, or blown away by something. And then they show like just a few more like shots. And I'm like, <laughs> like, wow, I, uh, I never expected that to look like that. Or I'm like shocked that that looks as good as it does or that they, you know, how they designed that or shot this. Um, I, I think, uh, maybe, I mean, that with the, the really cool thing I've been thinking about the most, I think, you know, in the last 24 hours or so has been the, the Hans Zimmer, behind the scenes, like special featurette that they showed. Um, of course, a lot of that is focused on the score and talking about how it influences the film and how Hans Zimmer and his team uh, designed it. But they showed a lot of new footage and just, uh, I mean, I can't get over, like we talk so much about how big the movie is and like the scale and the scope of it and everything, but you know, it, it's hard to, uh, I mean, I feel like there's not really been a movie that looks so big and is so big you know lord of the rings has been the the main comparison that people have have drawn and continue to to reference that i mean there's one shot new shot that we got yesterday which i think is the harkonnens on arrakis um and they're all in formation and there's these massive ships like the biggest ships you have ever seen in a movie um and it, it just reminds me like the only other thing i can think of is like you know, Return of the King or, you know, uh, the two towers where you just look out and there's just endless soldiers, like, you know, in formation or marching. Um, and, and just even, so there's that like end of the spectrum. And then there's the tiny little intricate details and like the simplest things. Like they, there was this shot of, I think the, the Baron's bath where it's just like filling up and mixing together. And I'm just like mesmerized by like just the way they decided to capture that really focus in um yeah it, it's great i'm just i can't get enough of it um and i'm sure of course all this is being thrown out because the global release is ongoing and it's in europe right now and that's such a big market and so you have imax and dolby and and all these different kind of factors um that have their own cool little video clips and highlights and things that they're all releasing now um so i'll be curious to see how that's going to work in the next few weeks as we get closer to the U S release, if they're going to have new things to promote or if they're going to be kind of like recycling through. Um, but I mean, people are excited and I'm, I'm certainly one of the most excited and uh, I'm really loving everything we're seeing so far. And of course they have started to promote and put out the, the big, uh, you know, kind of TV spot or online spots with the critic, you know, uh, adjectives thrown in there and the different ratings and stuff. And I'm sure that's something I haven't seen any TV spots um, yet. That's usually in the last month or so. And we're just about to cross the threshold. So I think that's, that's something that we'll be seeing more of and they'll be leaning into more as we get close. So, you know, that theme that we see Paul looking at, you know, as I like to say the golden path with the sandworm. All I can think of every time I see that is J.J. Abrams being very proud of The Force Awakens and being like, we're using practical effects, practical effects. Well, guess what? Denis is really using practical effects right there. Yeah, that, that shot's been out for a while. And every time I see that, I'm just blown away by it. How gorgeous and how massive that must be. I wonder if Denis has that in his living room now. <laughs> just like yeah i made that movie let's um go to our uh, third topic which is uh audience reaction so uh, people have you know like uh hundreds of thousands of people potentially have, have already seen uh, seen this movie in the in these different countries so let's uh start with you uh simon i know that you've been uh 
yeah, hearing from the people on the ground in, in France. So what have been like the, the big reactions that you've heard so far? So I'm very disappointed. My nephew was supposed to go see it, but I think his girlfriend didn't want to go see it opening day. So I don't like you, girlfriend. <laughs> uh, no, but overall, I talked to one of my friends, Darren, for over an hour uh, about it. And he told me he took a couple of friends with him. He saw it actually on the premiere night. And then he went back. And I think at the point of recording it, I think he's recording the show. I think he's seen it three times already. So he took a couple of friends and all his friends were like, oh, my God, I want this. I, I want to know what happens next. Uh, I went in full spoiler mode. I asked him a bunch of questions, which I'm not going to share. But overall, what he, everyone is saying is that it's epic. It is this generation's Lawrence Arabia. And as a Lawrence Arabia fan also, as one of my top three movies of all time, Dune might be up there now. And I don't, I don't want to make Dune the obvious choice. Well, I love Dune, so of course Dune's going to be one of my favorite movies. But reactions are great. Uh, the pacing is what a lot of people are saying. That it's not very jump cut, go to the next scene. Very much without going full spoiler mode, the breakfast scene that we saw in the IMAX preview, it feels like that. Denis lets his characters breathe, which is crucial. And something that I keep hearing a lot is the details on every set, every little items. Like one of the French YouTubers I was watching was saying, like, I'm sure you can pause this and see even engraving, you know, on everything. It's just a piece of art. It's I hate using the word masterpiece, but apparently it is. The only complaint I've heard mostly is. I mean, it's kind of robotic, but you need that, like we were saying, until something happens to create that arc where Paul changes. And one YouTuber said that Oscar Isaac should grow back his beard because that is a crime <laughs> against humanity. <laughs> but overall, people are loving it. I mean, I haven't heard any negative stuff. And look, I'm I'm French. I can say it. We we complain about a lot of stuff. So if the French people are not complaining about Dune overall, magnifique. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to hear more reactions, but it's positive all around. Yeah, with the French stuff, I'm, I'm just wondering how much of the fact that, you know, the director and the star have been on, it seems like every French TV show speaking French. And that must be unusual in non-English speaking countries to have a native, well, an almost native speaker of your language being able to converse um, without interpreters or subtitles. I, so France loves any American actor that can speak a little bit French. It's <laughs> like, I don't know, they, they love it. It's, they're, it's a weird fetish they have, I think. But I think the... Denise speaking French and Timothy going on French TV, I'm sure has only helped a lot. But Dune is pretty popular, the book, what I remember in France. Like, oh, yeah. it, they, they, they love it in France. They've got, uh, that's just come out last week, um, which is the second edition of the Dune book. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so it's now called All About Dune. 
uh, with extra interviews in there and stuff. Uh, <clears throat> there's a new uh, mag couple of magazines with articles and interviews. Um, so these are really good if you can speak French. If not, I just look at the pictures like I do and drool over them. Um, so yeah, France has got a lot of uh, good June material at the moment. And also what a lot of people are saying, it's, I, I don't know how to translate it really in English, but they're calling it a hard sci-fi. It's not, I guess what it, it would translate, it's not popcorn type of Star Wars sci-fi. This is Star, this is sci-fi at its best. Like this is really science fiction. It's grounded. I, overall the positive reviews, and I have a friend on Instagram and I totally forgot what country you're from, other Mark. I feel like I'm surrounded by Marks now in my life. Um, and he loved it. He saw it opening night. He told me it was everything that he could imagine and more. And once again, everyone's reaction, I want to see part two. Make this happen, Warner Brothers. So overall, uh, like I said earlier, that a lot of the reviews that I saw uh, coming out of TIFF and recently from uh, from those that have seen it in Europe is is mostly mostly positive. Um, I have I have read a few lukewarm uh, responses. Uh, that can be for a lot of reasons. Maybe it's the expectation. Um, as I have said before on this podcast, though, I'm still not seeing that statement. I'm confused. I'm lost. I have no idea what's going on here. So, again, I, I just think that's the linchpin to making sure that. Uh, and, and I think recently Denise stated this, and maybe it was in that TIFF Q&A where he actually stated, I, I wanted to make this uh, available to those who hadn't read the book, although there's so many people that have. And so he's got to have time to explain that in the first movie, which is why you need two movies. You've got to have time to set up this world, lay the foundation for what it is so that people can then further explore the story with part two and, and hopefully Dune Messiah. Um, so one of the one of the articles that I really like, I'm a big fan of, of Ryan Britt. He writes for Den of Geek and some others. And I really like how he he goes super deep sometimes. I'll bet sometimes uh, people can't quite keep up with him because he he really dives into some of the psychology of, of why a film gets made and particularly why why Dune is being made now and, and why is it relevant now. Um, but throughout this article, he's, he's basically stating there is no one who was better prepared than Denis to make this film. Even his pedigree of what he made before Arrival, making Arrival, making Blade Runner 2049. It was almost like the path to be the director of Dune. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, and he's, he's even said this, it is his dream project. You know, did he... Did he choose those projects perhaps so that he could be ready for Dune? Um, maybe some of you know that. I'd, I'd love to know that. But, you know, one of the things that Ryan Britt says <clears throat> in this article is he mentions that, um, so if Dune does its job, it won't just start conversations about the future of cinema, but perhaps the future of the planet too. In real life, there may be no golden path for humanity, but for now, with one ambitious work of cinematic expression, the sleeper has awakened. So, you know, Ryan goes goes really uh, into some psychological places where the the reason that this movie is relevant now, and the reason it 
hopefully will resonate with audiences is because it's tapping into these themes, maybe maybe similar to, to the way that Star Wars did in the 70s, right? To be able to tap into these themes that, that we want to explore, that we want to think about, that we want to talk about. And, and uh, so for him to, to give uh, not just a review that is positive about this film is well done, it's well crafted, uh, the story is, is compelling, but actually to say this movie has social relevance to who we are today and what we're dealing with. And, and I think it was uh, Rebecca Ferguson that said something along the lines of, you know, in this day and age with the things we're dealing with, we do need escape. We do need a place to go. I think she mentioned that, you know, in times of, of economic turmoil or, or social strife, people sometimes turn to musicals or sci-fi, right? Um, well, talk about escape. That's what Denis doing with this film. He's asking you to go into a theater and literally be transported out of your world to another universe. And, and so Ryan, Ryan is really kind of tapping into the fact that here's a person who is capable and he has done that with this film. So anyway, I love going deep on that stuff. And, and I'm just excited that he's seeing all those relevant themes for our society today. And I think we, we touched on it, um, like when we were talking about reviews, I think that that's so important because you, you can give a review of the movie itself. Like you can say, okay, this is a good movie. Look at the, the, the cinematic approach, uh, look at the acting and, and all that. But I think to, to get the whole picture of, of Dune, if you're familiar with the source material, that, that, that's really key. And I think that, uh, that that's, that's gonna be really important. I think people are gonna enjoy this movie and you know, there's gonna be an opportunity to discuss all these, these deep, deeper themes. But as we've all been saying, like, you know, getting the part two and then the Dune Messiah, where we really go deep into some of those those messages about uh, society and humanity, I think that's going to be, uh, yeah, really important for, for our society. You know, like even when he was filming uh, Incendies 10 years ago and he was in the deserts of Jordan, he was already thinking, okay, this is, you know, where I'm going to film Dune. This is where, where Paul sits. And he did talk about how, you know, it was after filming Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 that he finally felt that he was uh, in a position to, to take on a project like, like Dune. Uh, so I think that, that was, he, he was definitely working with this vision uh, long-term. And it's exciting to, to see him also talking about, uh, you know, Dune Messiah and how he's thinking about that, that long-term as well. But thank goodness as he did that, Marcus, as his technical filmmaking skills uh, grew through Arrival and, and Blade Runner 2049, he didn't give up that focus on the characters, the story, the relationships. You know, that's the statement I keep hearing that this is a this is an indie film on a grand scale, right? It it retained that indie uh, personal. Uh, like he talks about how it, the movie is a lot of real close-ups, which which indicates you know in, intimacy and 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 personal connection, and then these grid these massive you know, wide shots. There's not a lot of mid shots. And that's interesting because you're getting this combination of a, of an indie uh, personal feeling, emotional based sort of experience, but then it's surrounded by this massive world building. So it's exciting to me. Yeah. In one of the uh, interviews, I think it's in one of the magazines, uh, the talk about the, the choice of IMAX. Um, and then he says he wants to do a film 100% in IMAX at one point, which would be great. But he says, with the desert, normally when you have a desert shot, you have the, the huge uh, widescreen landscape. 
and he wanted an IMAX one so you actually feel the weight of that environment pressing down on the, the individual. So it's not an expansive environment, it's a crushing environment. And uh, so I can't wait to see an IMAX. So I want to dive into the box office results, which is our, our fourth uh, story for today. Uh, so based on the reports we have through Friday, uh, we're looking at a 16 million uh, gross. So keep in mind that um, uh, Dune has, has opened in uh, Western, Western Europe, uh, Russia, CIS, and uh, a couple of the, the South, Southeast Asia countries. Um, so, so on j just, just looking at... Um, uh, Friday, that the, there was an additional seven point five million, and that was adding to the to the strong openings that that we had on um, on the, the during the weekdays because uh, the the earliest uh, previews were on on Tuesday evening. Uh, so we've we've seen that uh, especially Russia and France have been been strong. With uh, in Russia, the, the best uh, openings of the pandemic so far is three point three million so far, and uh, France likewise it was one of the the best opening days, and at three point two million so far. Uh, so, Johnny, I want to start with with you. Like, um, how how do you uh, perceive the, these box office results so far, and what are your uh, estimates, projections for the rest of the weekend? Yeah. So this is, um, I mean, this is very. Uh, I don't know if I'd say best case scenario potentially, but it's very, very good. Like, it's. I was already bullish, of course, um, more than. It, probably literally anyone, but I think it's safe to say that this is, an, I mean, it's a legitimate, like not debatable overperformance. Like it's, it's above the actual like industry projections. It's above even people outside the industry who are also um, analyzing it and taking a look at it um, because deadline, I know they posted an article just before the screening started saying, you know, what to expect, you know, what the, the numbers could be. And they said mid twenties essentially. Um, and of course the opening day, um, numbers and the preview numbers in, you know, which is included in that, in a, a lot of the major markets, Russia, France, Italy, um, those were, you know, incredibly impressive. Um, in, especially in Russia and France, I think were by far the biggest, um, Russia, it was the biggest opening day of the year for a movie in Russia. Um, third biggest of the year in Italy, um, France had the biggest as well. So it's it's, you know, I don't think anyone was expecting that necessarily, which is the best thing you can say. And the fact that it's most likely, you know, at this point going to be about 10 million or so over what the industry projection of mid, you know, mid twenties was, it's going to come in around 35 million, most likely for the opening. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's a very good thing, especially when you're dealing with, you know, that's 10 million, but the percentage of that, that it's going to be over what they were saying is significant. Um, and that bodes very, very well, um, of course, uh, for the potential when you combine that, not just with people, you know, if the same number of people was going and then afterwards, 50% of them were like, well, that sucked <laughs> or like, eh, I don't really care about that. I'm not like really interested in seeing more of that. That would be one thing, but to have these big numbers and to have vast majority positive reactions and, and people being vocal about, I, you know, I really want a part two, or I want to see what happens next, that kind of thing. Um, that that's very good. And also this is something I highlighted, um, you know, on social media, 
last night. And that's something that I've noticed because I have been kind of monitoring, you know, every now and then going through and seeing what people are saying. I picked up on some, some French uh, like phrases and things like that. Um, but really just the people who are saying that, you know, they've either already seen it several times, you know, two, three, four times, or that they plan on seeing it, you know, in the future, next week, next weekend, whatever. Um, and the amount of people saying, you know, they've seen it in IMAX. Those are all, those are, you know, multipliers. So you have people seeing it a number of times. You have people seeing it in IMAX, which is, you know, going to be an extra cost for the ticket versus a regular ticket. Um, those are all really good. So that is encouraging. And also even in, in places, you know, we've been talking mostly about Europe, but, you know, Taiwan, for example, Singapore, where it's been opening, those numbers have also been impressive. I know in Taiwan, it, it's opening day figure was uh, a quarter million in sales. And that was just $20,000 behind um, Shang-Chi's opening. So again, Shang-Chi has been a, you know, a huge success. People have really been hyping that movie up. And this was just behind that. And that's one of the, you know, the biggest, most popular, successful, established franchise in movie history. I think that that close proximity is very uh, encouraging. And I can't wait to see uh, what the final numbers are are looking like. Um, and then, of course, even next week, we have, I think, mostly, if not all, uh, Middle Eastern markets are going to be getting it uh, as well, like the UAE, where they filmed it, and uh, Saudi Arabia and places like that. So that'll be another thing to look forward to. But yeah, these are, are looking very, very good. And I noticed, you know, we've been talking a lot about France and Russia um, and reactions and reviews. And I think overall, not just the, you know, between the critics and the audience um, that's showing up for it, again, pretty much universal, you know, at least liking the movie, if not loving it. Um, and that, again, if these people are, you know, seeing it this weekend. I know Bond is something that's on the horizon. You no, know, no time to die is going to be coming out. I think in a, in a couple weeks, about two weeks, in most of these big markets, the same ones we've been talking about. So next weekend, if people are really loving it that much, and if word of mouth is really good, you know, they come out of the movie, they tweet, you know, oh, this, this movie is amazing. Like, go see it, go see it in the, in the theater and all that. I think next weekend could be pretty solid because I think legs is the one thing that people are most concerned about because it could be front loaded or it could have a lot of people showing up on opening night or showing up opening weekend and then kind of fall off. But if people are like, Oh, I'll go see it again next weekend. Cause I loved it so much, or I'm going to bring my friend to go see it, or I'm going to tell them to go see it. That could help and translate. And that'll be something again, interesting to watch weekend two numbers for these territories. And then weekend one numbers for the other ones that we mentioned. Um, and again, that's going to snowball into the tickets are going to be going on sale in a couple of weeks for the U S and for the UK. Um, so all this hype and all this attention that's on this movie right now, that's going to be like, Oh, well, if people are going crazy, I better like go and get tickets or, and then also you have these other big movies coming out prior to um, Dune in the U S. And this is something people have been asking me about this and people have been kind of questioning, you know, why is it so, why is it, why are we getting this a month later than some of these you know European countries? Um, and there's like a million, I mean, there's a, a battery of reasons for that. And I'm not going to go into detail about it, but you have these big movies, you know, coming out in the U S before you have Venom, you have Bond, you have Halloween kills. And when these movies are going to be drawing people into the theater and doing pretty well, I think that those movies are going to do fairly well um, regardless of streaming and, and the pandemic and everything 
you have guess guess what they're going to be promoting in the theater and when you go see this movie they're going to be promoting dune because they're going to you know that's going to be the big like next ticket movie so you're going to have the trailer attached to those movies you're going to have posters you know in the in the theater and banners and that that type of stuff so that's going to be huge as well i think um and again earlier i mentioned commercials and tv spots and things um i think this is looking really good for the domestic opening i I think right now i think prior to this people were probably thinking they like very conservatively probably thinking like 20s as far as like opening weekend here Uh, i know the suicide squad for example just opened with like 28 i think was like the number um and of course that's a rated r movie that's a comic book movie i think this could easily open more than that and you know warner brothers their films this year having the streaming uh, you know access their biggest opener has been like 31 million, which was Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, Space Jam opened with around 30 million as well. I think this could this could be the, their biggest opening of the year if they play their cards right, and if this this does can, this build up continues um, as it is. And if that opens at that number, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to deny the success of this movie, regardless of what happens after the fact. Um, I would imagine HBO Max numbers are probably gonna be pretty good as well. Um, it was funny. Someone mentioned on, on the TV side of things. I love Succession. It's one of my favorite shows <laughs> and that's an HBO show. And they just dropped the trailer for it yesterday. Uh, and that show comes out the week, uh, a few days prior to Dune. Um, so you're going to have people potentially signing up for HBO Max to watch that show or, or you know, people are going to be on HBO Max more that week to watch the show. And of course, they're going to be promoting Dune. They're going to be like, Dune comes out this week. Um, and people, more people are going to be signed up to watch and, and be, you know, have access to it. So I think the HBO max numbers are going to be looking pretty good as well. And the biggest numbers they've had so far this year have been in the high, you know, 2 million, uh, into the 3 million, three and a half million range. So I think again, if it's in those numbers, if it's in that range of these other successful movies by their own metrics, again, I'm, I've been optimistic the entire time, but I'm definitely feeling even more optimistic, um, now. And also HBO Max, I saw on Twitter, is having a promo where it's 50% off if you sign up now. Just saying, people, maybe <laughs> you should sign up. Yeah, and well, that's another thing, too, talking about HBO Max. I know this was a story that kind of was, you know, a few, I think it was three or four days ago now. They were talking, there was, I think it was Variety, potentially, or Deadline was talking about how apparently... Legendary had the option with Warner Brothers. We can push this to 2022 and just be theatrical, or we can do it, just do it now and have have it as part of the HBO Max deal. And they chose, they made the decision to do it now. Um, and there's a lot of factors, of course, that go into that decision, but I think ultimately that was the right one. Um, because not only are you burning more money the longer you wait to release a movie, but also how long can you delay a movie until people are just like, I don't care anymore. Like I, I, I don't even know when it's going to come out. I'm not excited for it. Um, I think people, by the time they released the second trailer, they did the IMAX event. People were like, okay, let's, I'm excited for Dune. Like I want Dune to come out regardless of what's going on in the world. Um, so I think the decision was right. And apparently in this deal, they said pretty much flat out to Villeneuve to legendary you know, if this does well in HBO Max, we're not going to worry too much about the box office. Like the box office is what it is. Warner Brothers, I can tell you definitively, like they have pretty much written off this year because AT&T, 
they went with this deal to do, you know, promote HBO Max and to kind of, you know, prop it up. They're not really on all their movies. They're not really that worried about it. Um, and they're not going to just stop making, you know, Godzilla movies, or they're not going to stop making, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat or Conjuring movies just because it, you know, underperformed in a pandemic. That's not going to happen. Um, and I think when you have a franchise like this that has such potential, um, you know, comparable to things like Lord of the Rings or, you know, Harry Potter, other big Warner Brothers, you know, franchises they've had in Game of Thrones, that's another Warner, you know, property. Um, they are not going to give up because the box office is mediocre. And Villeneuve himself said prior to this opening, and he said this before, you know, Venice even happened, it would have to be a disaster. Like it would have to completely bomb and, and be very, very bad um, to, you know, avoid at least part two happening. And this, what we're seeing now is the opposite of that scenario. So fingers crossed, but um, yeah, this is looking really good. I'm, I'm feeling really good. Um, I'm excited and I love just getting to see the people who are, who have been doubting the entire time or were pessimistic about, you know, it's odds and are like, Oh, wow. Well, I guess we were kind of wrong or, or, you know, this is looking at, you know, surprisingly good. Um, I think that that, that notion is going to kind of dissipate. And I think that's important as well for the U S because a lot of people in the U S have been like, Oh, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm kind of doubting how that's going to go. Um, so if that narrative can start to shift, even from, you know, people in the mindset of, well, it's probably going to bomb and we're probably not going to get part two. So who cares about part one? Or I'm not, you know, I might not go see it. I might just, you know, stream it or whatever. If it's to the point of success where it's looking like part two is going to happen. I think that that makes people more open to the, you know, the fact that it is just a part one and, and, you know, yeah, you're going to get half the story essentially, but it looks like the second part is going to, you know, come out uh, whenever. So. And, and, and I have seen that, that narrative a lot as well. And I, and I think I, I just want to clarify that the, the, the fact that it's going on HBO Max, which again, I want to clarify is it's US only. So it's, it's an important market, but it's, it's one market. This is not a negative at, at all. I mean, uh, you know, the, the best experience to see Dune, you see it in the theater, you see it in, in IMAX. And I think the people who, who love film, the people who love Dune are, are going to do exactly that. W what HBO Max is going to do is expand that reach. So we're still living in the middle of a pandemic. Not everybody feels comfortable in the, in the cinema, like everybody has a different situation. So uh, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're not going to have that huge uh, box office like we did like uh, 2019 and before. So HBO Max is going to allow us to reach people that we otherwise wouldn't have reached. And, uh, you know, th there is going to be some level of, of cannibalism, but we've, we've seen that, that trend. Movies that have done well in the box office have also done well in HBO Max. Movies that have not done well in the box office have not done well in HBO Max. So at the end of the day, it's, it's about the quality of the, of the movie. And I think just getting more, more eyes on this movie is, is critical, especially uh, in, in this year. Let's actually go into some, uh, some uh, viewer questions. Um, so the first one I want to do, actually, this is, this is not, a, uh, not a question, but I want to uh, bring one of the comments from, uh, from YouTube. Uh, so uh, Chance says, it's interesting that Simon is French, but it seems he still hasn't commented onto the fact that Timmy is as well. I figured he'd be using the correct pronunciation of his name if no one else does. So uh, Simon, I'll, I'll let you address that. Um, Excusez-moi, Monsieur Chalamet. Um, so look, here's the deal. Yes, his mom, 
his dad sorry his dad is french his mom is american so that makes him french american uh he is not a super uh, french he does not talk like this so uh yeah i know my bad look i just got onto the timothy chalamet fan club about a year ago well maybe a couple years ago when he was officially announced and when we were getting closer to the movie i was like oh crap i should watch some movies with this guy and now I follow him on Instagram. I follow him everywhere. So, Monsieur Chalamet, si vous regardez ce podcast ou écoutez, je m'excuse. Uh, Mr. Chalamet, I am sorry. You are French. We both are f- fan of football. Uh, if you ever want to come on this podcast, I will do the whole entire interview in French and I will translate everything to these guys. Um, my bad. Je m'excuse. Uh, so the next question I wanted to go on to was um, uh, from uh, Twitter. So uh, James D. Eversole Jr., he says, uh, do you think Villeneuve has already uh, cast uh, Fade Rafa? Who do you think would be a great casting as Fade Rafa? So let me start with you for this one, Mark. Don't, I wouldn't have thought that they would have done any casting at all yet uh, since part two has not been greenlit officially. Uh, for Fade Ralpha, someone suggested on Twitter years ago, uh, and uh, I can't get him out of my head now, but the guy from Mr. Robot um, was in Queen of Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, Robbie Malik? Yeah. Really? I, I think he'd make a great Fade myself. And the other, the other option as well is uh, this Stellan Skarsgård's son, uh, who played uh, Pennywise in It. So keep it in the family. Uh, maybe I don't know, but th- those are my two suggestions. It's interesting that people are so obsessed with the Faye Rafa character. I, when I was talking to my friend in France, um, he's hardly in the books. We know who he is because of Sting. I don't think he. I don't know. Maybe that's just Sting made him an icon. Yeah, and, and I think one of the factors. There again, so we, we have uh, Dune Part 1, which is going to uh, cover more, more than half of the book, uh, let's say. And um, in, in, a th- in a third or Part 2, which is going to uh, like cover the, the end of the second part of the book and the, and the third part of the book, uh, it is, is basically going to uh, have the chance to really expand on, on a lot of things that maybe were, were smaller in the book. Like we've already seen that, what we've seen in, in the IMAX preview and what we've seen from the footage. They're, they're taking this, this opportunity to expand on the characters. Like they've said, you know, Lady Jessica, she, she was already an important character, but, you know, they're, they're uh, going more and exploring that, that character more. Same thing for the, for the comments from uh, Denis Villeneuve about uh, the character of Chani, about how she's going to be a more important uh, uh, part of, uh, of part two. So I, I do see them expanding the role of, 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 of Fade in, in part two as, as well and, and making him a more, more important a- antagonist uh in in that movie understand where june part one finishes the movie um in the book fade is only in one scene in the book so i think it's an extremely smart decision um to keep fade for part two because one we're going to lose some characters in part one so we need some additional people to uh replace them and also it cuts down on the amount of introductions uh you know as Karen, as you said, you know, no one on Twitter has said it's confusing. And if we'd had Irulan, if we'd had the Emperor, if we'd had Fade, if we had the Fenrings in there, 
when you know those are more people that you need to explain who they are, what they're doing, why they're important, uh, and the more people you add, the less time you've got for other uh, characters. So yeah, I think keeping him for part two, completely the right choice. Yeah, um, I think I think it was a really smart decision, uh, like you said, Mark, to not overwhelm the audience in part two. And as tempting as it would be, because Fade is a is an iconic character, and he's almost a a counterpoint in some ways to Paul. Um, but to to have that come out in part two, I think is is the way is the way that needs to be done. Um, I guess my thought would be the same way Denis talked about how. Um, you know, early on, he was already thinking about, you know, if I get the green light to do this Dune film, you know, who, who's my Paul Atreides, you know, who's my Lady Jessica. So whether he would admit it or not, I'm sure Denis has already maybe even settled on who his first choice would be uh, for Fade. Um, again, uh, I follow Ryan Brett and, and his, his recommendation was um, the actor who plays Moriarty from, from the BBC Sherlock series. His name's Andrew Scott. Um, I, I kind of like that choice. Um, again, Fade is a, is a devious, manipulative character, and he's even, he's even devious and manipulative with his own people, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's from this family line of Harkonnens that are just, you know, rotten to the core. So, um, I, that was a suggestion I really liked. There's been some others thrown out that some of them felt interesting. Some of them felt weird. Um, but no, I'm excited because the Fade character really stood out to me when I read the book the first time. It was a character that somehow I, I don't know what it says about me, but somehow I connected to this character because he, he was trying to you know, maneuver and get his way you know, through this, this uh this evil family, you know, this traditional house that is, that is so evil. So um, anyway, there's, that's a great question to ask. It's fun to speculate on it, but my guess is that Denise already has got, he's already got his person chosen, but whether he's acted on that, probably not because he's got to get the green light to go forward first. As much as I love Robbie Malik, like Mr. Robot is my favorite TV show of all time. That is one of the greatest storytelling ever. Uh, I can't picture Robbie Malik as Faye Rafa. I picture someone younger, like closer to Paul's age. Johnny, do you have someone in your mind? Yeah, I absolutely do. I already talked about this on Twitter, so you guys probably know who I'm talking about, but I have prepared for my little, my my pitch, if you will. Um, so my, my choice would be Barry Keegan, who is a younger actor um, and he's been in some big films and people probably know him best from uh, he was in Dunkirk. Uh, he played the kid on the boat who ends up uh, getting uh, in, in peril. <laughs> and uh, he's also, he appeared in the green Knight this summer. Um, he's going to be in eternals in a couple months. Uh, and he also has a role in the Batman, which comes out next year. So he um, is perfect. I think he has, uh, you know, for example, Villeneuve is definitely aware of him and knows of him because he says his favorite contemporaries are uh, Nolan and uh, Lanthimos and Yorgos Lanthimos. And he's been in a Nolan film and he's been in a Lanthimos film. And 
uh dunkirk that was a big budget movie it was a blockbuster movie so he kind of has familiarity with that and then in killing of a sacred deer which is probably my number one reason why i would want him is because he plays an evil manipulative like psycho like a true psychopath (laughs) and i think he and he but he does it with like such like subtlety and like charm and he does have like a strange charm about him like you can't really put your finger on it i think that would like that's perfect pitch perfect fade i think um and then of course he's going to be in the batman so he already has like a a working relationship with warner brothers he's going to get facetime in eternals Uh, that's a big marvel superhero movie um and he has like a role in that as a hero so i think that you know people will know of him to an extent more after that movie comes out um so and again he's close in age he's just a couple of years older than uh than chalamet so i think that would work also i think if you shaved his head and, and painted him white he'd probably look pretty uh strange and intimidating and weird so and you know assuming that they keep that look for fade as, as all the harkonnens already have that look um i think that would work as well so uh, that would be my pick. Let's talk about the real picture that got leaked this week of Timothy Chalamet hanging out with Larry David. That's actually okay. So <laughs> I, that's funny. I love those pictures. That actually reminds me of another thing. Uh, Chalamet posted and Barry Keegan posted them hanging out together in London like several times a couple weeks ago. And that was when people, that's when I mentioned uh, the, the fade thing. So he knows Chalamet, like they're tight, they're hanging out and stuff. So hey, maybe Chalamet can get in Denis' ear if he doesn't uh, you know, already have someone picked out or, or is interested in him. Uh, so also from, from Twitter, um, Brett is an artist. He asks, do you think Dune Part 2 will get greenlit before the US release due to the nice international box office so far? Or is Warner and the Legendary going to be super cautious and wait until December? Let, let's start with you, Johnny, for that one. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I would say uh, pretty definitively, I'm going to say no on this one. Um, it's not impossible. I'd say it's improbable to an extent. It just doesn't really, and I've said this before, um, it just doesn't really make that much sense, I feel, from like a business standpoint. Uh, you know, a lot of them, I feel like a driving motivator, at least for fans of not just this movie, but the books and then, you know, Villeneuve and, and you know, the, the characters and the actors in the movie, um, you know, a driving force for them to go see this movie right now. And, you know, maybe not even just go see it once, but see it several times, see it in IMAX, tell people about it is because everyone's riding on this, this fear that they're not going to green light part two. Um, and so I think if you, you know, if the numbers are outstanding in the next, you know, you know, two, three weeks, maybe they're like, hey, uh, Dune comes out next week and we're doing Dune part two. So go see this movie. You know, you don't have to worry about it, you know, not getting a, you know, a sequel. Um, just go enjoy the movie. But from another standpoint, why not incentivize people like, hey, you better go see this, this movie or, we're, you know, you're not going to get the rest of it. Um, as cruel as that might seem, I think it makes business sense uh, a little bit more probably, at least right now, than it would be, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're just going to do part two, you know, go see part one, whatever. Um, I think maybe I could see a scenario where it comes out in the U.S. It has a really, you know, it has a, a good, solid opening weekend. It gets, you know, 35, 40 million dollars at the box office. It has three million people watch on HBO Max. Um 
I could see them like on Monday or Tuesday, they're like, Hey, that was an amazing opening weekend. Like let's put out a press release. We're going to do, you know, we're going to do a part two. Villeneuve is really happy. Like, you know, we're going to go ahead. And then that even gives us, you know, Oh, yay. Well, we're feeling good. Let's go watch it again and, and just kind of celebrate that kind of makes, I could see that being a scenario. It's something that happened with uh, wonder woman last year. The movie came out. It did. The box office was not great. We were kind of in the, in the heat of the pandemic, even, you know, maybe more so than we are now. Um, and it had the HBO max deal, but they came out on that at the end of that weekend. They're like, this was a great weekend. Like we're going to do, you know, wonder woman three, um, Patty Jenkins is coming back and, and Gal Gadot's coming back. Of course, wonder woman three was probably going to happen no matter what. I think it's a little bit different. Um, so maybe that won't be the situation here, but that's kind of how I see it. Or at least I feel about it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, Johnny, that, that's a good point. I, I agree with you overall about this being improbable, but having said that I'm leaning in the other direction in terms of, I think it would totally make sense, you know, like, you know, like say that we're getting all this, uh, this momentum going in, in Europe. And then of course, we're going to have the US release, but not only US, we're going to have uh, UK as well, and, and Canada and all the South American countries. So leading up to that, like, like uh, imagine, you know, if they, if they said like basically the, the day before, like, you know, Dune part two is, is gonna, gonna happen, you know, and really like motivating it from, from, the, from the positive perspective, because I, I would disagree. I, I don't think fear should be the motivator for people to, to see this movie. I, I don't really like the, the victim mentality that I, that I see sometimes. I think people should be going to this movie as, as much times as they want because they're enjoying it, because it's an awesome experience. They wanna bring their friends, not because they're afraid, you know, like, a, you know, like that, that's the whole theme of, of, of Dune. So I, I hope that's, that's not the case. You know, like I, I want people to see the movie because, you know, they're, they're loving it. And as Denis was saying, you know, it, it has to be a disaster for them, there not to be a part two. Um, but I want to hear, Garen, your perspective from the psychological uh, point of view. Yeah. So, so Johnny, I, I agree with you in the, in the sense that from a business standpoint, and I think Hollywood has learned this, you know, over the past hundred years, you think you know how an audience is going to re respond to a film. And until it's out, you just, you really don't know. And until you have a franchise and then, you know. Um, so the thought that came to mind as you were, as you were both talking is the, some of the only, not the only, some of the, the criticisms that I have read from people who have seen this film, it oftentimes is, it ends abruptly. I don't get the rest of the story. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fully invested and then it's over. And when am I going to get a part two? Who knows? So, it's like walking a razor's edge if you're Warner Brothers, because if if maybe like you were saying, Marcus, a week into it, it it's announced that there's a part two. Well, suddenly that that constraint or that criticism of the movie ends abruptly is like, well, it's because the part two is coming and they're going to start shooting it next year. You know, then suddenly there isn't this hesitation or or maybe an, an unwillingness to to invest in this franchise because you don't know if you're going to get, uh, you know, the rest of the story. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, uh, pencil pushers over there at Warner Bros. know better than me and they're <laughs> analyzing every piece of data, but you got to time that perfectly, I think, for the U.S. audience. And uh, I think I could see it going either way, actually. I was just going to say, yeah, that's a great, I mean, you put it very well. Um, and just to be clear, I don't condone <laughs> the, the, the strategy of uh, inciting fear as a, as a motivator. But again, these corporations, they don't, they don't care about that. I mean, we're, they're, we're not holding them to some ethical standard at this point. So um, I hope that's not the case. I would love to see it 
a sequel confirmed, you know, in, in three weeks, maybe if the ticket sales are looking really good or something like that, that would be awesome. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 Gary made some really great points. One of the interviews, Denny said, we'll, uh, we'll know by December. So I don't know if that's kind of the worst case scenario. Um, but I was thinking if one, if one of the brothers do make a decision based on the European, uh, and the rest of the world distribution of June, then probably sit on it until they decide it's the perfect time to announce that part two. Mm. Whereas just before it releases in the States, the opening weekend, a week after, whatever. But I, I imagine Warner Brothers will have made up their mind before America launches and America bombs, then they'll have some uh, announcement ready to go uh, at the perfect time. I think it's really interesting. I think it could go either way. But I wonder also, as we were, as you guys were talking about this, does the average person even know it's part one? Or is it just Dune fanboys and fangirls right now? And film critics, is the average person going to walk in and be like, oh, it says part one. Well, mental note, there's a part two coming out eventually. You know, are we so much inside baseball right now that we we know we want a part two when the average Joe Schmo from Kokomo will just be like, oh, part one. Well, I guess they're making a part two. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I was going to say that's a good point as well, uh, Simon. Uh, and I think you're right. No, I don't think I would say most people, absolutely special general audience and, and people who go see a few movies a year they don't know that this is just half the movie. Like they don't know this is half the story. And I think that's exactly why, well, you know, I've seen, apparently there's two title cards for the movie. Apparently there's one in the opening and there's one at the end. The one at the end just says Dune. The one at the beginning says Dune part, part one. And I think the reason that that's even in there is because they want to preface it. They you know, when you're watching this entire movie, just keep in mind that this is not going to be the entire story, but there's going to be a sequel. Hopefully there should be a sequel. Cause I think, yeah, if, you know, if there was no part one title card at all, I think people would be like, well, what the hell? Or like they would, there would be some sort of negative feelings about that. I think including the title card takes care of that to a degree, you know, everyone's going to feel differently about it. Um, and Mark also raised a, a good point that Denise has said himself, December, like but by December, we should know. Um, and I do think that is kind of like a worst case scenario. I think that would be in the instance where maybe these numbers, great opening numbers in Europe, and then like the international numbers are kind of like eh, middling. And then in the US, like it doesn't come out like that well, like it just comes out kind of mediocre. Um, I think at that point, then they would have to wait like a couple months in, into December and be like, okay, what are the long term box office numbers? Like what did it ended up totaling? how are the Blu-ray like sales looking? Like how has the engagement been? Like they would have to look at a lot of things at that point and have discussions internally to make a decision. Um, I think realistically, again, I'm, I am very optimistic. I think by November we should have an answer. I think, you know, if it doesn't, if they don't make an announcement before the U S release um, you know, and maybe it's not, you know, the week after it comes out, I think it would be soon after, like in, into November as the, uh, the weeks roll on. That was Dune Talk. That was our show for this week. want to thank everybody for, uh, for tuning in. Uh, so let's start with you, uh, Mark, where can people find you on social media? I'm June Info everywhere, uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, 
to search for Dewey Info and I should pop up hopefully. Simon? Uh, S. Dowdy on Insta, Twitter, all that. I know we talk about thanking Denis for this, but let's also thank Frank Herbert for writing the source material that we keep, you know, gushing over. And I just want to bring up two points. Uh, Lady of Caladan, book two of the Caladan trilogy comes out this week. And also it looks like the paperback edition of the movie comes out this week. So I wonder if it's going to be a little bit different because of the beginning how it's done in what we saw in the IMAX preview. And I'll probably end up buying it, and Mark probably has it already, so never mind. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the uh, Italian version, because that was the first version I could get that came out. But uh, So I don't read Italian, but, you know, I needed the, <laughs> the book for my bookshelf. It's so okay. I'm, I'm think I, so I buy random copies of it, like different covers. I think I'm going to start trying to get international covers like that French one that you showed. Yeah. A friend of mine uh, has got hundreds of copies of June from I think every language it's been published in. He's got a, a room full of books. It's incredible. My girlfriend watches this YouTuber called the Potter collector and he has like different copies of Harry Potter and so many random languages. Pretty cool. Pretty nerdy, but I approve of it. <laughs> and, and just to avoid uh, doubt, so like the book is getting different covers, but the, the contents of the book are, are not changing. So, so just oh, you know? any, any okay. confusion about that. Yeah. Uh, Johnny? Yeah, everyone can find me at Johnny Sobchak everywhere. Um, I guess I'll do a, a shout out to uh, all the fans that are supporting the movie. Like, wow, uh, overseas in Europe and Asia and everywhere else where it's releasing right now. The numbers look amazing. The reactions have been amazing. Um, and that's that's what we need. That's what we would like to see, you know, ideally. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, things are looking up. I'm glad to be optimistic. Um, so the next few weeks are going to be interesting. Garen? Yeah, Garen at DuneCompanion.com on Twitter. Uh, I like to spend a lot of time on there. So I just love all the interaction people are, are putting forth on social media. I think that is really helping a lot of people become aware of this film. And, and so, you know, I just, I like the community, you know, I optimistically like you, Johnny, I believe this is going to be a, a, a fandom. I think it's going to, it's going to be a big deal. And I like the culture of the fandom so far, if I can be that bold to say it, it, it has a very unifying uh, feeling that, you know, at times people get a little tense about certain things. We won't go into that topic that happened last week, but you know, people are unified. They're supporting one another and the excitement is, is traveling throughout the group. So I'm really, really grateful for everyone's involvement that way. Oh, before you, before you say goodbye, Marcus, I just want to give a big shout out to Marcus because the site is a year old now. What? So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, th thank you guys. So uh, yeah, this is uh, Marcus Gabriel, uh, your editor at dunewsnet.com. Uh, and yeah, I can't say how, how excited we are to, you know, like be bringing you the news on a, on a daily, weekly uh, basis, whether it's through the site or through the, through the show or, or social media. And there, there's a, a lot more to, to come. You know, it's, it's so exciting to be, be part of this, this community. I just want to uh, thank everybody who's who's been involved. Uh, th thank thank all the people who are engaging with us on on social media. 
And uh, yeah, excited to, to talk to you all we next week. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to dunenewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.